Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. And if you're returning, we are so happy to have you back. Thank you for always tuning in. And in a time of volatile and complex uncertainty in the world, what if we can learn the lessons that nature has compiled from 3.8 billion years of research and development. I love that phrase. It comes from this book we're going to explore. Nature is an interdependent, dynamic, and living system, just like today's organizations and communities. Our guest today uses nature as a model, mentor, and muse to rethink how leadership is practiced. And I just want to let you know that even if you don't feel like you're a leader or leading an organization, there is going to be some amazing insights in here for you because we are all leading the change on the planet right now. And as I read through this book, I I was seeing, yes, this is so pertinent to organizations and organizational leaders. And then as it all soaked in, it's like, wow, everyone on the planet really, truly needs to understand the concepts in this book because we are an integral part of a larger living system. And and I'm going to maybe I'll ask our guest that and have her respond to that as well. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest Dr. Kathleen Allen is the author of Leading from the Roots. And I'm going to ask her, I'm going to ask her if she says roots or roots. We, I'm from the Midwest and I say roots. The book is Leading from the Roots, Nature, Inspired Leadership Lessons for Today's World. And she's president of Allen & Associates, a consulting firm that specializes in leadership innovation and organizational change. She also writes a blog and I get it in my inbox every Saturday. I love to to read her writings on leadership and organizations that describe a new paradigm of leadership that's based in the lessons of nature and living systems. And you can go to KathleenAllen.net and I'm going to remind you of that at the break, right after the break. So welcome, Dr. Kathleen. I'm so happy to have you on our show today. Oh, thank you, Dr. Julie. It's really great to be here. Uh, well, I'm going to probably refer to you as Kathy. I hope that doesn't throw our guests, our listeners off, but sometimes <laughs> it's easier to call you what's easiest for us. So I'm going to call you Kathy. And um, I, I have a traditional first question here on the show, Kathy, and I know that you've listened to a few of the episodes, so you you might be prepared for this, but... Could you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? I love that question. Um, For me, this is really about helping us understand the deep interdependence of all of us and the world around us. 
So on a quantum physics level, physics level, everything is connected. Um, there is no separation. That's what we've discovered in quantum physics. And so the way we view the system is totally different. The more you know about a part of the system, the less you know about the whole. So when you look at the system from all things are connected framework, you begin to think and see the system and how you influence the system in different ways. For example, I believe that change flows down along lines of relationship at the speed of trust. And when you see yourself connected, you don't see people as people who are for or against you, those kinds of polarizations. You see us all um, somehow or other connected and we have to seek and find that connection to strengthen how we uh, work together and how we lead together and how we influence change in the system. So when you start thinking about interdependence, all of a sudden, so many rules that we've been taught in leadership and in our organizations change. So the illusion of separation that you talk about, um, in a hierarchy, we assume that there is separation between the president and the employees. We often increase that separation through the framework of um, exploitation of our workers. You know, we see them as objects, an extension of the objectification of the organization. And when we look at them instead from a living system frame, all of a sudden we realize, oh, we're all connected. How do we work together? How do we serve multiple stakeholders instead of just shareholders? And so many things shift from that perspective. That's how I see connection anyway. Thanks, Kathy. I your your words and the whole idea of interdependent interconnectivity is really expressed so well on almost every page of this book. It's it's just a a brilliant manuscript manuscript. So thank you for that. Mm. And before I get digging into it, you are I think you're from Minneapolis or Minnesota, is that correct? Well, I grew up in uh, outside of Pittsburgh, but I live in St. Cloud, Minnesota, which is about 80 miles northwest of the Twin Cities, yes. Okay, so you got a little east and a little central going. Do you say roots mm -hmm. or roots? I say roots. <laughs> okay. Oh, <good>. But, I, <laughs> I just but I've, I've heard both. <laughs> yeah, I've heard both too, and I know, and I have several things I'll, I'll say on the show, and I catch myself saying them. One of them is a really bad habit of both. I say both, like B-O-T-H with an L in it, and then sometimes when I say wash, it has an R, and people mm -hmm. go, oh, you must be from the Midwest. But anyway, that was just yeah. a funny thing. I caught myself in the intro and, and thought that was a fun little little element to add here we're all connected in so many ways and language is one of those things that that we can we can definitely see the diversity within the whole systems through our language and arts and other things which we're going to talk about diversity here too but Kathy I learned about your work through a friend Dina she was planning a trip to the northeast of India to experience the living bridges ah, wonderful and it was canceled due to COVID but I'm grateful for her interest and passion of the Living Bridges and nature-inspired nature -inspired leadership. She introduced me to your book, and I love it. But let's begin with that topic, because you begin with that topic in your book as well. So 
tell us about the Living Bridges. I'm sure most of our listeners probably don't have a clue what we're talking about. So mm. what do you mean um, by bringing that into the book? And let's, let's really honor them. They're incredible. I, I went to go view more photos again today because I get so excited looking at them. So Living Bridges were discovered about 500, 600 years ago uh, by a, a British explorer to, um, that was uh, exploring the region of Mandalaga, India, which is the, in the northeastern section of India. It's filled with indigenous people to that region, and they, it's a very mountainous, they call it the abode in the clouds. And it has, it's one of the wettest places on earth. So the, in the monsoon season, you'll have somewhere, you know, upwards of 400 inches of rain. Um, and so what they discovered is that these villages that would want to connect with other villages in that mountainous region would go down from their village because they tended to be along the mountainside. They'd cross these sh small rivers creeks or cricks, depending on where you grew up. And then they would uh, travel upwards to do trade and connection. And when the monsoon came, those creeks became really raging torrents of water as they kind of uh, went through that system. And so here, the indigenous people, highly connected to the land, very attuned to the um, spirit of the place, we're looking for solutions. And of course, you know, today we look for solutions in man-built kinds of things, but they were connected to nature. So they looked on along the, um, the in, into nature and they found these tangler roots, uh, fig trees, which kept growing roots that would drop from the first and second and third limb of the tree. And what they decided to do was to train these roots to travel from one end of the bank to the opposite, and then they would plant them in the opposite uh, bank. And over two decades, two generations actually of people, they would slowly weave and grow a living bridge, a bridge made out of roots of this, these large tangler figs. And, um, I found the whole thing stunning on a number of levels. One is that they had to see the world in a connected way in order to see the resource that was present in their environment to solve their problem. And the second is, is that they time, you know, we have so much rushing around kind of sense of time today, but they saw time as, um, also a resource, but they were not bounded by short-term solutions because it took time to build the solution. But on the backside, they, these bridges have lasted 500 years and more, and they uh, bind the place, the spirit of the place, the people of the place, and they reinforce and connect each other. And I love the fact that every time you walk across one, um, you're reminded of the history and the people and the place and nature as a kind of an active partner. And now, of course, I use Living Bridges to help us think about transitions in organizations. Mm. 
and and you do a beautiful job of that introducing it in the book and carrying that through and um just want to encourage our listeners out there just put living bridges in your browser and some of the most incredible they're also artistic and creative aren't they kathy they're not like it, it's nothing you can even imagine they're so beautiful and amazing like when you think that these are living roots that that move from one side of the bank to the other it's, it's just exquisite they are filled with nature's architecture not uh, there's nothing squared off and that 90 degree angles in those pictures and they have a spirit and um, a feeling all uniquely their own I agree that it's a beautiful, beautiful way of uh, a visual way of seeing how a solution can be made. Yeah, so it's brilliant. So you've spent decades inside organizations, studying organizations, and then consulting and helping them evolve from a mechanistic worldview of separation to a more unitive worldview. And as a as a dynamic interdependent living system like we talked about. Let's talk about this shift in worldview because it's foundational here. So it's important um, that we really frame this conversation in that you're introducing that, that this worldview of separation and coming from the industrial age where we everything became mechanistic, that's no longer serving our higher purpose here and it's and it's time to shift. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we are being schooled on interdependence as we speak. Um, COVID as, is an, an aspect of nature. We might not think of it because our framework is pandemic disease kind of thing, but it's basically telling us what the limits of our capacity to control is. And climate change is doing the same. It's giving us feedback that the way we are living is basically not in alignment with um, creating conditions that are conducive to the future life on our planet. And so both of these things are basically requiring us to pause and look at our choices and how we're interacting with our life and with each other and perhaps um, learning deeply and in significant ways that we are in fact connected, we are not separate that our actions do make a difference for either positive or negative impact. And the way we've been thinking in terms of leadership is almost all about separation. That's, that's what we've inherited. And as a result, we've also inherited this kind of mess that we're in, in terms of human influence on climate. And uh, you know, if we don't do something significant now, by the end of the century, which sounds like a far off kind of framework, but we will have um, increased the, the, the temperature of the planet close to five degrees. That's if we don't act now. If we do act now, we could perhaps bend that curve and uh, come back down into maybe a 3% uh, more global uh, warming. So, but once you get much beyond 3%, you reach a tipping point in this complex living system. And the living system will in fact create it, make it more difficult for our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren to have a quality of life. 
I read recently today in the Washington Post, there's research from uh, the journal Nature, and they were talking about 85% of the world's population have um, basically been impacted by uh, climate change, which might be drought or flooding or hurricanes or fires or other kinds of things, and have significantly been impacted, and those events have increased the uh, um, the effects on this 85% of the world's population. That is really kind of a stunning example of how when you ignore interdependence, uh, the world and nature is trying to get our attention and saying, hey, pay attention, you know, your actions are influencing the quality of your life in the future. Mm. So, so this phase of, of a mechanistic worldview did serve us in developing technology and, and what have you, but now is the time for us to evolve more into a unitive worldview and understand these living systems. Your, your book, Leading from the Roots, is infused with strategies and ideas for leading with a living systems mindset. I love how you say that, living systems mindset. One of the main principles of the book is this idea of generous organizations versus the old model of consumption. And I, I love that you named it generous. I'm wondering where that comes from, if you want to let us know that. But I always think of regenerative. When you when you say generous, I'm, I'm hearing regenerative also in my mind. So anyway, those the, the consumption is about those that consume resources, people, and investments and give little back. So let's talk about this foundation in the book then that, that really moves us into we're either in a generous organization or the consumption mode. So it, nature has basically three kind of phases of or types of ecologies. And type one tends to be uh, a system where the ground is not very fertile. And it's where you get a lot of weeds and annuals, and their purpose basically is to evolve the, the quality of the soil so the next iteration, the next kind of stage of ecology can start to form. Hmm. And so they are, um, so they're short-lived, they um, uh, don't invest any roots, they consume all of the nutrients from the soil. The soil is their primary reason. Uh, place that they get nutrients. Stage two is if you're a gardener, think of it as your perennials and your tubers and um, shrubs and short-lived trees. And what they do is the, those plants start investing in their root structure. So they still take primarily the resources from the soil, but they, they uh, invest it so they come back in the next year. But type three ecologies are sometimes called generous systems. And the reason is, is that in living systems, they become more diverse as they evolve. And so by the time you get to a state type three ecology, you think of old growth, mature prairies, mature coral reefs, they're filled with diversity. And what that diversity does to an ecological system is it provides an opportunity to build relationships that are mutually beneficial to each other. And so all of a sudden, because of the increased diversity in this uh, type three ecology, 
they start sharing their resources because some species have an abundance of one thing and they, uh, uh, but a scarcity of another. And then they start aligning with other species that have an abundance of what they are seeking and vice versa. And so these, that's where they begin to get their primary nutrients from each other rather than the soil. And it's the only ecology that the nutrients go back into the soil rather than just draining the soil of its nutrients. So this generosity is built on relationships, connectivity, and mutually beneficial uh, relationships. So it's really a stunning alternative model for thinking about how we relate to each other in our organizations. Mm. I love that. I, I love that. So the the type three, which I saw in the book, I never put two and two together. I don't know if you said that, but that they're called generous systems. I uh -huh. love that. Okay. And so these, these generous re systems remind me again, you said they are relationships and mutual benefit and one other thing. Um, mutual benefit, generous, and that they exchange the, uh, they willingly exchange the resources and therefore they feed each other rather than, and they put, they put resources back into the ground, into the mm -hmm. soil that supports them. Yeah, this is brilliant. And, and so, so for, for this model and our evolution, um, to really shift into a more generosity system, a generous system, um, there are many principles and characteristics that, that you write about in the book. And, and they're, they're really principles and characteristics of, of all living systems. But can you guide us toward um, the conscious evolution of our organizations and our workplace by sharing what are some of those principles? Well, I kind of use two different sets. One is a living system, a set of dynamics that occur in living systems. And uh, the other is I really look at nature's design principles. So if nature were to have a purpose uh, that it articulated, uh, it would be by inferring from its design, it would be to create conditions conducive to the life of future generations. What, what a lovely purpose, right? What would our organizations and communities be like if that's what we held as a standard that um, is our community creating conditions that are conducive to the life of future generations? Is our business practice creating conditions that are conducive to the life of future generations? And then there are all these principles that you can, we can now see because we can see deeper into nature with technology and than we did ever before. And we begin to see the question of how do we see all of these species in relationship to each other? So that's the other thing. Um, and um, one of the, this, so I use these kind of specific design principles to help frame up what we need to let go of in terms of the way we think and what we might wanna start practicing and then this living system frame is when you think about, you know, th imagine for a moment taking your car to get some groceries and then um, imagine taking your two-year-old to the grocery store to get groceries and what's different in those two images. So when I think about getting into my car, I have my list, I go, I collect my stuff and I go home. 
But if I have a two-year-old with me, there's a whole other dynamic that emerges as we go shopping for food together, which is I have another sentient being, a living system that is moving and changing and maybe is cranky or is tired about shopping and or gets attracted to certain kinds of things and wants stuff. And so all of a sudden, this kind of rational, objective, mechanistic framework that we have for getting things done organizationally or in our life is confronted with getting things done in a living system, i.e. in relationship to your two-year-old, in relationship to the task. And so living systems are very, they operate differently. You, If you work with a living system and align in the direction that the system dynamics are already going in, you can create change more simply in a more sustainable and embedded way than you can ever do if you treat your system as an object and the people in it as objects. Mm. See, I'm just hearing again, um, in the intro when I said everyone can learn something from this because we all live in living systems, our families. You just gave us the example of the grocery store with the two-year-old. And I'm thinking about my two-year-old, I have three two-year-old grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> and you you also pack a big bag and you have to have that car seat and you know you have to plan around the nap and yet, but, but we can learn from our families, from our workplaces, mm -hmm. but also our communities are living systems. Our grocery mm -hmm. stores are living systems. Like this is so important. Important. So I'm just, we just have one minute before break, Kathleen. Do you want to respond to my premise that everyone can learn from leading from the roots because this is where we're at on the planet, waking up to a new story of who we are? Yes, I, I believe that everybody can because this is really about how we evolve, how we think, how it changes the way we interact with each other how it shapes more joy and creates more joy in our life as well. So I, I love that thought. And I actually also believe that everybody will find a spot in here that matters to them. Mm. I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to explore even deeper with Dr. Kathleen Allen on living from the roots. I'm going to we're going to get some real practical ways of, of implementing some of these beautiful concepts in the book. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money, 
What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers, people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, gray, gray, black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. There's hundreds of fun and simple things you and your family can do to live a healthier lifestyle. Here's 20 of them. Eat less, eat slower, eat smarter, eat your fruits and veggies, stop eating before you're full, up your fiber, lower your calories, get off the bus early, do some gardening, do jumping jacks, take the stairs, take one, not two, take on a new sport, take a long walk home, walk instead of drive, bend, stretch, reach for the stars, climb the monkey bars, skip the fudge bars. <sighs> Search We Can online to find more ways you and your family can get healthy together. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter where you'll find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration. You can sign up at juliecrawlemail.com. It's juliecrawl, K-R-U-L-L, email.com. And I'm here today with Dr. Kathleen Allen. She's the author of Leading from the Roots. You can learn so much more about Kathleen, her work, and this book at KathleenAllen.net. That's A-L-L-E-N dot net. Oh, Kathleen, that was a beautiful first half of really getting the gist of where we're coming at at the book. And I want to just go a little deeper in to the different... um, principles that you bring in I'm just going to open my book here and just tell the listeners there's this gorgeous this book is really cool it it gives you this nice overview and then we take kind of a deep dive into there's what is there seven or eight or nine different chapters that that take you deeper into the different concepts and then it comes back out and and teaches you how to lead from that living system mindset and, and grow generous organizations. So I'm going to just take some of the highlights from me, Kathleen, and 
ask if you'd go a little deeper. So in your research, you've learned this is a cool thing. You've learned that the most common traits that generous that the generosity, I keep saying generosity instead of generative or <laughs> generous, but that these positive living systems create positive energy in the workplace. And um, there's there's this idea of of having well some of the things you learned were people feel positive when they have they have great colleagues there's cooperative workplace there's meaningful work that matters a feeling that your talents are utilized and respected i love that one and that they have fun while getting the work done and so those are the things you've learned and from that you discerned three powerful practices that unleash positive human energy in the work environment. So I want to talk about each of these because they're foundational to the success of the organization. And you identify them as authentic relationships, shared higher purpose, and reciprocity. And we could do an entire show on each one of these and, and an entire show on each one of these chapters too. But let's begin with authentic relationships. Can you say more about that? So uh, nature teaches us that actually it flows on energy. It starts with a generous act, which is sunlight. And then, but it requires collaboration and active engagement in order to take that sunlight and turn it into nutrients. And that's called photosynthesis. And so I started playing around with how energy flows in organization and what what generates positive energy and what diminishes positive energy. I often do these organizational audits to as a prelude into uh, culture change. And through all of those conversations I've had with hundreds of people, there were certain patterns to them. And when people felt that they couldn't bring their authentic self into work, that they were screening their thoughts and their feelings. They were only showing up with certain, a sh really a small portion of what they could be and what they were thinking and what they were feeling and how they were reacting. What happened was it diminished their engagement and, and it started, uh, and it almost always comes from a sense that they are being objectified by the organization. This is part of the, the, unintended negative consequences of framing our organizations as machines is that we, when you think the organization is an object, it's a very easy slope to, to slide down on to begin to think, to begin to objectify the people in the organization. When people feel objectified, they can't bring their authentic self to work. And so you lose all of those resources, all of those extraordinary conversations that could take place that would help inform us about what the world is happening, what's happening in them and the organization and the community that our organizations are in. So positive energy flows along lines of, of uh, authentic connection. And mm. so as leaders, our job is to create conditions where people can be authentic in our organizations and organizations that are based in fear and competition means that you can never bring that authentic self. And so you'll never really have this ask, ask, access to 
this extraordinary unnamed resource, which is positive energy. Because everybody wakes up Monday morning and they say, okay, so am I going to bring positive, negative, or neutral energy to my work today? <laughs> it's an unstated, unseen, extraordinary resource. You know, leadership is about change, and we need energy to create change in a system. And so if you have more positive energy because people are seen, known, recognized, heard, and respected for their authentic self, you have this extraordinary influx of positive energy that comes with it. I love that. I love that. And and so the, the second one that you mentioned is shared higher purpose, and this is critical. I think this is good medicine for every human on the planet right now. When you, when you said several times now, creating conditions that are conducive to life and future generations, to me, that's a shared purpose we all need to live but we need a sense of belonging and shared purpose is a big part of that that the the world is evolving and transforming our organizations are evolving and transforming and this is um i think one of the staples that help us learn how to work together so say more about shared purpose so leadership is um, one of its critical roles is to help people make meaning of what they're doing in their life. And having a higher shared purpose is different from a mission because a purpose exists in the space between the organization and the larger community. And so from a connected framework, this is not radical at all, but from a separation framework, most of our organizations are pr predominantly bounded they see themselves as building their mission and their vision and their values as a bounded activity. It's things that are framed within the organization. But a purpose is about what is the deep need that exists in the community that your organization is uniquely designed to meet? That is a very deep, big question, but it's also a scalable question because you can ask that for yourself. What is the deep need that's existing in the world today that I am uniquely positioned to help meet? And then all of a sudden, every day you wake up, the reason you get out of bed in the morning is because you're here to help fulfill that purpose, you know, that life purpose that we all have. So organizations, when they start looking at themselves, not in isolation or separation, but in connection to the larger environment, and they look at it in terms of a service, what am I here to, what deep need am I and my organization here to meet? Then all of a sudden, all of the people working in your organization, whether they are, you know, at the receptionist level or the vice president level, they see the reason for their work in, in something that matters. It's not just about making money. It's about being of service, of creating a better world, of creating conditions conducive to the life of future generations. And then that changes how people show up. It changes how the, the meaning that they have and the work that they're doing I was doing this work with an organization to help them set their 2030 sustainability goals. And in the final end of that process, 
they voted on their their goals, which were quite ambitious. But at the end of it, I said, you know, it's not often that our organizational decisions have a direct impact on the quality of life that their children and grandchildren will have. And they just made a decision that was totally aligned with them personally, as well as organizationally. And all of a sudden, the people in the room had this extraordinary kind of sense of purpose about why they were doing this and why it mattered. And that's a higher shared purpose. And then it changes how you show up and what you do and why you do it. And living systems, one of the things we know is that uh, it only pays attention to what matters to them. So if you don't have a higher shared purpose, you don't have the attention, a critical resource in our organizations um, of the people who work there. And higher shared purpose is one of the ways that it does that. You know, I, I also, am, as I'm listening to you, Kathy, I'm hearing this um, natural benefit of that positive energy is that when we have the higher shared purpose, then number one, it's going to attract the people who really resonate with that shared purpose. And number two, it's also going to activate their own personal higher calling like we're it's going to activate how do i fit into this organization it resonates so deeply with me and that service it, it I, I could see it creating even greater positive um, results as people wake to their own place inside that higher purpose absolutely it's a, a gift that keeps on giving yeah Okay, and reciprocity is huge. Creating mutual benefit for one another is, is regenerative and essential. Let's talk about re uh, reciprocity. So this goes to this mutually beneficial relationships that are that nature is filled with. You know, you can you have these. Um, uh, you know, in in a forest floor, uh, there's a network called mycelium, and uh, it's a fungus that connects all of the living plant life with each other and trees with other trees of both like kind and, and uh, different. And one of the things that this mycelium network does is it connects, it shares information and it shares, shares nutrients all through this network. And so this reciprocity is actually designed in a network, flat network framework, not in a hierarchical framework. And so when we um, use power in our organizations to rank order who matters or who doesn't matter, or you can see this also echoed in a societal frame, what happens is we diminish the reciprocity of our system. And all of a sudden, we uh, treat people who we rank order as higher better than we treat people who are lower on the rank ordering. And often nature is actually at the bottom of any rank ordering that we have. And so we treat it poorly and then eventually nature comes back and reminds us that it has a lot more power than we do as human beings. Mm -hmm. But the, I have found this just simple basic human connection that values and respects each other uh, makes an extraordinary difference in terms of positive energy flow. And um, I recently listened to a presentation by Michael Sheridan. He lives, he works at Intelligentia Coffee. And he was talking about how to create 
this kind of reciprocity in supply lines with coffee growers um, in South America. And it was just a stunning um, example of reciprocity in, in movement that you don't use, you don't treat your supply line in a way that causes them to have difficulty sustaining your product. You treat them in a way that helps give them stability and, uh, and that requires paying them uh, in a different kind of way that helps them have stability so they can continue to grow great uh, coffee. And, but most of our supply lines are not based in reciprocity. They're based on extra, extracting and exploitation. Yeah. And so it's, it diminishes the general energy in the system. It becomes degenerative instead of regenerative. Yeah, reciprocity is magic. Uh-huh. It's magic. So yesterday, I'm going to just shift this a little bit here. Yesterday, I heard a, a wealthy billionaire say, having money does not mean you're successful. And like I, it, stopped, I, it stopped me when he was saying this. He said, it means you're wealthy. Having money doesn't mean you're successful. It means you're wealthy. And he went on to describe what he thought success means. And in your book, you suggest we recognize positive human energy as a measure of organizational health. I love that. This is different from the mechanistic view that you're talking about with the bottom line and making money. So how can we measure and manage our positive human energy that you write about? Um, Well, first of all, when you work with organizations that have this as part of their healthy organizational culture, as soon as you walk into the door of the office or uh, facility that they're working in, you can actually feel the positive energy. It's it's almost like a pulse that um, exists under underneath um, or in the air that you breathe. Um, so this um, so nourishing positive energy is um, as I said, it's an extraordinary and needed resource. And one of the ways that I've done it, leading organizations, but also helped other organizations who wanted to transform their culture into this kind of healthy organization is that we um, we work with them in a way that, well, living systems is actually part of the answer here. It is stunning when you're engaged in a kind of a large scale change uh, initiative in an organization, when you start using the language of living systems, how people in the room breathe deeper, they relax, they think, oh, she's talking to me as a human being, not as an object. And all of a sudden, the active cooperation and hopefulness and trust that starts developing when you think of yourself as a living system changes everything. So for example, one of one organization I had, we were trying to help people see how they weren't rank ordered based on their paycheck, but that everybody had a critical role in helping the organization to thrive. And we realized that our uh, organizational chart was not telling this story very well. And so I was doing kind of group coaching once a month with their senior leadership team to reflect on how to deepen the living system work. 
in their organization. And so we were having this conversation about organizational charts and they started thinking, oh, well, um, uh, maybe we should change our visual image. And so they began to play with this image of a tree. And then all of a sudden they realized that the leadership team was probably the root structure, you know, connecting with the nutrients in the soil. But all of the backroom uh, infrastructure was probably the, the trunk. And then the programmatic people were the branches. And then all of the frontline staff were the smaller branches that had all of the leaves connected to it. And then all of a sudden, the people who are doing frontline work realized that if they don't do photosynthesis, the tree dies. Mm. And they and then we put the tree in a natural environment with other trees and sun and rain. And, and all of a sudden, they saw themselves connected to the community and the larger world. And so this energy that we need to this healthy energy comes literally through connection. So the greater approximation of wholeness that we, this is where your work and my work are totally aligned. The more we can approximate wholeness, the more we positive energy we have in our organizations, in our personal lives, the more fun we have, the more laughter we have, the less stress, the more purpose we have, purposeful we have, the more forgiveness we have for our humanness and our failings. It's it's really a wonder, Julie. Mm. Yes. And I just want to go deeper into all these concepts. We've only touched one in the book. There's so much more listeners. You've got to get this book. It's just yummy. And sign up for Kathleen's email too. Every every Saturday morning you'll get in your inboxes. Just brilliant information there. So one of my favorite topics in living systems is distributed leadership and how that promotes self-organizing behavior. This moves us right down to the roots per se and really localizes the leadership. Um, we have just about ooh, like five or six minutes here and I want to give you enough time to really talk about this Kathleen because I think that distributed leadership is a whole different way of looking at our organizations and our world right now and really engages all of us to step in. Even in your last example, when I was seeing the tree as the organizational chart, I was seeing the employees caring about other employees' families, like in the uh -huh. community and, and really seeing the interrelationships. So let's talk a little bit about distributed leadership and self-organizing um, leadership that, that happens naturally and organically in living systems? So uh, there is no CEO in nature, right? Nature organizes the this extraordinarily effective and regenerative system based in two frameworks. One is higher shared purpose, creating conditions conducive to the future of life. And then it unleashes self-organization. So grass, ants, bees, um, animals, all of those living entities know how to self-organize. Uh, uh, and yet in our human organizations, because we have this mechanistic frame where control is another illusion. So not only is separation an illusion, but the illusion that you can actually control anybody underneath you in the organizational chart is just bonkers really when you 
think about it. So what happens is that people also, because we are a part of nature, not apart from a nature, people also have the same capacity for self-organization, but we may not bring it to work. We might reserve it for our social life on Friday night or Saturday or what we want to do on Sunday. So we all have this capacity to self-organize, but sometimes our organizations are designed and led in a way that actually dampens down or um, completely uh, wipes out self-organization. So we, again, are working against our ability to drive extraordinary results um, because we want to micromanage people. We want to tell them how to do their work. And uh, uh, it just doesn't, it's not a very effective way. What happens is we tend to use a lot of resources. We create top-heavy very expensive, um, high paying jobs in our organizations to basically control human nature and humans. So what we want to do in distributed leadership is we want to ask different leadership questions. Instead of asking who's going to get this done, we ask what um, interconnections and inter will and relationships will help make this work. And so we're trying to use a strategy of connection rather than hierarchy. Instead of asking, what do we need to control? We ask, what can we unleash? So now when I go into organizations, I ask questions like, um, what's the smallest thing that we can do that will create the largest impact? So you're using the interdependence of the organization to help align the organization and move it towards health, the relationships and the flow of energy. Um, and this, um, distributed leadership, I used to think that we were taught that uh, leadership defied gravity, so it only rose to the top. But distributive leadership says that leadership is not immune to gravity. It can be spread and nurtured and strengthened at all levels of the organization. And when you have that, what you basically have is self-organization on not steroids, but nature's version of steroids, which highly nutrient-driven, uh, thriving species called self-organization. And nature does it all the time, but what we have to do is look at how are we diminishing that. For example, our job descriptions are about help telling people what specific things they have to do. What if we rewrote the job description to say, this is the outcome that we want to have as a result of your work. And then we let the people in the job figure out how to get to those outcomes. That's how nature would design job descriptions. Kathy, this is just all so brilliant. <clears throat> and I'm just, as I listen to you, I'm, I know you used to teach in the university and I'm just hoping that you or those you inspire will create textbooks about this for colleges <laughs> and then someone else will be inspired or maybe you and, and those you inspire will create children's books and we can begin teaching this in elementary school and middle school and high school. These concepts are not just for organizations. It's so important and thank you for taking the lead in in really addressing organizational behavior here and, and how to lead with natured inspired elements here. This has been so fun having you on. Thank you so much for 
for bringing your wisdom and 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 all the detail in this book that anyone can pick it up and it's it's a um it's it's just a jewel it there's so much here i'm just as i look at it it's like you there's into the chapter questions that we could consider there's just there's just so much here and so much good so thank you How, any idea any um, inspiration for writing those textbooks <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting that you um, said that because I've just decided to write um, my next book which is leading change with a living system mindset to really help people we we have so many challenges that we have to face in our society that that needs deep transformation and so I want to accelerate and help uh, change agents to accelerate their work to help us transform systems. So that's kind of next on my docket. Excellent. I'm going to support you on that one. So reach out to me. I'm right there to help lift up and amplify that voice. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Kathy. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Julie. It's this is I just love what you're doing and I really appreciate being invited in to share and this great conversation with you. Thank you. Thanks. And I want to leave you listeners with the words of uh, Dr. Kathleen Allen in this book. In an interdependent world, we need a higher purpose that spans the boundaries of our organizations, sectors, and geographies and creates conditions conducive to the life of our organizations, our communities, and our planet. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.